Hi, Andrea, and thanks for agreeing to be on our podcast today. Um, before we get to know you and your medical journey more, could you introduce yourself to our listeners? Okay. Um, so, well, my name is Andrian, and I am currently a year four medical student at the University of Hong Kong. Um, and I used to go to Shouting College. I did go through the whole IB experience. And I guess now here I am talking to you two on your podcast. That's great. Okay, so I'm going to start off asking you about like your high school life. Um, so um, what was your like study routine during your high school? Like, do you have one or? Yeah. Okay. In general, it really changes uh, week by week, depending on what was uh, what was more content heavy that week. You know, like some lessons are kind of um, like, I don't feel like I learned anything. But yeah. then all of a sudden, <laughs> in the day, like all the lessons are really content heavy. Yeah. So uh, it really depends. But in general, I had a rule for myself that I tried my best to cover everything that I learned that day, mm-hmm. right at night. Yeah. Um, wow. Because I, I, I know some of my friends back then, they would try to uh, leave it to the end of the week, like the weekend where they could just go through it all and grind through it all in Mm -hmm. one day or two days, like Saturday and Sunday. But by the time you get to Saturday, what you've learned on Monday or Tuesday is already like kind of gone. It just drops and you don't quite remember that one really important point. Yeah. 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 So I, from, from day one, like from IB, I told myself I should try my best to cover all the things I learned that day in the same day when I'm most familiar with what went mm-hmm. on that day. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's like um really like interesting because I kind of like during exam week last year, like in year twelve, um, like I really struggled with the content, like memorizing the content and like I realized that maybe I should have approached it differently. And like I kind of started doing what you talked about and I think like it's definitely helpful yeah but during that process like how did you deal with procrastination or did you just not procrastinate yeah no I definitely procrastinated but I don't know it it, it, procrastination becomes a bit of a habit right like it's and it's really Mm -hmm. hard to talk a habit like you habitually want to pick up your phone if it's right next to you if you're studying in your bedroom, you just kind of want to lie down and, oh, wow, a five-minute study break becomes a whole long sleep, you know, like, habit. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I remember there are a few things that I did that helped against procrastination. Um, I guess a lot of people use these apps, like, you know, like Forest or, or some oh, sort of... Yeah, I use that too. I know. Yeah. Yeah. Those, those work to some extent, right? But in general... Um, I actually put my phone away, like somewhere else, literally just mm-hmm. somewhere else where I would have to get up and go get it. And when I thought about getting up, I'm like, wait, no, I should be doing something else. And I just, let me just finish this. And then I can go look at my phone. Or I studied in a place that was not the same room where I rested, right? Like um, my bedroom is just for sleeping, for my downtime. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, I, I was, I am fortunate enough to have like a separate room as a study or as an office that I share mm-hmm. with my mom. So I would only study there. 
and I would only sleep or at a, like a keyboard in my room. So I played the piano or whatever there. I'd only do that there. So there was like a physical separation. And so whenever, like uh, after a while, you get used to, you go into your workplace and you're there to work. You go into your rest oh. and you're just there to rest. And naturally your body just gets used to it and your mind gets used to it. Mm. And it just seems natural to just, you're there already, right? Just yeah. get to work. Some people um, actually work much better going to cafes or going to study rooms. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Going out of their way to go, like leave their home and go somewhere else because I guess like, and they've told me this, right? Like my friends have told me this, like this whole idea of you're there already, right? You didn't come all this way yeah. to the place to not work. Yeah, yeah. And like pay for it as well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You paid for yeah. the coffee, you're there, and then you're going to check Facebook for like an hour. No. Like, how do you keep yourself motivated? Because I know it's not easy to just like always, you know, you talked about separating yourself from like your distractions, but like once you actually get there, like sometimes you might feel kind of demotivated or like stressed out if that makes sense how to keep yourself motivated that's that is a question that many many people are trying to answer <laughs> i think it's easier to keep yourself motivated if you have some targets that you want to complete that day mm. um sometimes like you make a to-do list and then you put like, oh, I need to complete my IA or I need to go through my notes of topic five of bio or something like that. And then, um, um, but then I feel, I find that a lot of people actually do this a bit wrong as in they write a to-do list for the whole day. And it's just that, right? But if uh, sometimes it helps if you give yourself a time limit, uh, for mm -hmm. example, um, Oh, I'm I'm in the morning. I'm gonna spend two hours, or maybe one hour, two hours, uh, just grinding my e. Right. I'm just gonna type it out. I'm gonna proofread it. You give yourself two hours, and you have to finish it within those two hours. It's much better than giving yourself the whole day to do it. Yeah. Because if yeah. you give yourself the whole day to do it, it inevitably will take the whole day to do. Sometimes you just have to give yourself a bit of a time limit pressure and go like, okay, no, I'm not leaving until I complete this or only two hours, I need to do this task. Yeah. Right. Okay. Like you mentioned about like pressures. So like throughout your IV like life, I guess, do you feel like um, pressured or like stressed? How do you feel in general about your IV life? I think... Um, it was quite an unpopular opinion, but I did find IV quite fun. Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Like, of course, it is like um, content heavy. Yeah. Right? Of course, there's a lot of stuff to do, but I guess in a way, I tried to like turn my mindset into wow, there's so many things you're uh, like you can do, right? Uh, sometimes I think about I compare the IB curriculum with the DSC curriculum, right? Like, cause I have relatives and friends that do the local curriculum and I see them just studying every single day. Mm -hmm. And I, <laughs> at, at like the, at the cost of them, like their, their stress and everything, I, I felt I was really lucky. 
that I got to do random stuff. I got to try out so many different things for casts. Like you guys are starting a podcast. Um, I ended up going to Vietnam for one of like the uh, like the Orbis uh, uh, thing. Okay. Uh, maybe oh, we, for Orbis. Yeah, maybe we can go through yeah. that. Later. But I <laughs> also. My my friends who did um, the school fashion show as their project yeah. basically mm-hmm. pushed me to do that as well. So I was like, oh my oh. god, kind of uncomfortable, but okay, I'll do it. Whatever, it's like <laughs> the creativity, right? Like I'll do it because I don't yeah. think I'll be able to do that again anytime else. So yeah. mm-hmm. I, I thought about it. Like it, it's really all about how you think about things, how you how how you approach things. If you just look at it, like oh, there's so much to do. Right. It's kind of like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Like you're going to be really stressed out yeah. about so much yeah. and, and it's just going to pile up. But if for me, I, I looked at it as I have so many opportunities yeah. to try new things and to not just study a day in and day out. And that gave me a sense of joy, like as an, or, or I felt quite grateful even like I was like, Oh yeah. my God. This can actually be a pretty fun thing. I mean, like you mentioned that it's pretty fun, like throughout your IB life. But do you have like a particular subject that you you think is like the hardest or the easiest subject? Yeah, or like yeah. Okay. Um. Maybe maybe I'll just tell you guys first, like what I did. Um. Mm-hmm. I did higher English language A. Wait, yeah, just higher language, um, Mandarin B, bio and chem. And wow. then I did, well, SL maths, back then when it's just SL maths, and um, history. history. Yeah. Uh, the hardest subject, let's see. <laughs> are they all easy for you? No, I, I, they're not all easy. Okay. Uh, okay, I think it's a tie between Chinese and history. The one I struggle wow. with. Wow. Okay. Yeah, Chinese. That's <laughs> because honestly, my Chinese back then was not that great. Yeah. Um, but then, yeah, I, I was, I think I was really, really fortunate to have really good teachers and really dedicated teachers that. Yeah. Yeah, they responded to me being willing to learn and being willing Mm -hmm. to make mistakes and Mm -hmm. also being willing to ask questions in class. And that also helped motivate me. And it felt like people believed in me. Yeah. Yeah. Were willing to invest their effort and their time to help me. Uh, That's really important because like, also, I think having good teachers, um, they also like help you gain interest in that subject. Like even though initially you might not have chosen the subject because you like wanted to, if that makes sense, but you felt like you had to, but like having good teachers, I think definitely helps you like retain the information that you're learning better and also just like develop a passion for it. But could you tell us a little bit more as to why you chose those for higher levels? Well, chemistry is a requirement <laughs> of basically every medical school. Um, it's not until I went into medical school that I understood why, but more on that later. But okay, um, English, because I genuinely really love English. Um, 
I think it's really important. Like, I think I don't know, Grace. I don't know if you remember this, but then I did mention in the uh, in the summer program thing that we were yeah. at that if I weren't in medicine, another thing that I would probably have went for is journalism. Yeah, I remember. So English um, at a higher level. And I never really struggled with English as a subject throughout secondary school. So I thought, you know, let's just go for that. Number one. Number two, Chinese was, even though I could have just taken SL, Mm -hmm. I think it was more to do with pride that there's no way I'm going to take SL Chinese. But also, I, I... knew that if I did a higher uh, Chinese subject, that it would help me in the future. Yeah. Right. Right. At that moment, I knew that I could take the short term, like, easier way out yeah. by doing an easier subject. But yeah. I knew that it would be good for me, even though it would uh, take more of my time. I risked not getting a seven. Right. There's a lot more risk there because higher B, their their mark scheme is kind of crazy. It's weird. It's weird <laughs> um, compared to other levels. But yeah, I just knew that because I wanted to be a doctor in Hong Kong, um, that I really needed to brush out my Chinese. And mm-hmm. I, like doing that subject would force me to uh, just you know, face my own inability of Chinese or face my own like lack of Chinese uh, and really work on that as for bio I think that's a bit straightforward right like uh, you should do bio because you cover a bit of medical stuff in there and then chem as a requirement Uh, and then history I mean it sounds like you had like a lot of fun in IV like doing those higher levels that's like yeah that's crazy yeah Again, it really just depends on how you look at things. I, I, I looked at those six subjects as six really like different sort of mindsets. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know if, if this is clear, but like there's a way of thinking and a way of writing essays in history, the way you think about the world. There's a different way of thinking about things in English. And there's a different way of approaching things when you're in science and in math. And I just mm-hmm. kind of categorized them in my mind like oh i'm in this subject now my mind has to switch a little bit there mm. and it's like just jumping around like, different subjects so yeah. i know i don't know i was able to, i was able to do that and just make it really clear that oh if i'm doing math i'm thinking about it in this way if i'm doing languages i'm thinking about it this way yeah. and that made it a bit more bearable and just not as confusing yeah. at all right yeah. So would you say that like the IB kind of, well, was it helpful for you in like medical school in any way, like all, any of the subjects that you took? Definitely. I think because you guys get free periods, right? Like Yeah. 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 And there's, would you say there's a lot of also self-studying involved in IB? Mm-hmm. There's a, there's yeah. a component of that. And there's an EE as well. Yeah. And you had to like just do it all yourself. That's kind of like how university is. That mm-hmm. is actually really similar to how university is. And I think IB, true to its name, it really does prepare you as much as it can for university. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it really helped temper the shock that I might have otherwise had 
of jumping from a high school environment and mindset into a whole like university mindset. Right. Yeah, it made that transition less um, difficult. All your friends are going to different universities, and yeah. you know you start like growing apart from people you see every day in high school. Yeah. Right. That that does happen. Yeah. Um, but actually, yeah, I I think I would credit IB and the, the program for actually helping uh, you m- me grow up quite a bit mm-hmm. in two years and be quite prepared to deal with the some problems in the future and deal with the challenges in the future and dealing with it myself. Not saying that I would just keep away from everyone and not tell anyone my problems, not that type of thing, but being able to rely and believe in yourself. Yeah, I mean, I think that's really good to hear, especially since we're both preparing uh, for medical school right now and like how useful IB is and like the things that we learn and like the things that we not only learn at school, but also like through the process. Um, like you mentioned, I think, yeah, that definitely gives me a little bit of hope. <laughs> um, but kind of backtracking, I like remember you mentioned um, you took Chinese because you wanted to study in Hong Kong, right? Um, so could you tell us why you wanted to study in Hong Kong and not like the UK, which a lot of um, Hong Kong students kind of tend to go to as well? Yeah. Well, I wanted to study in Hong Kong, but not exclusively in Hong Kong. I did apply for the UK as well. But right. I mean, just based on like I, I was born here, I was raised here, basically my entire family is here. Right. Yeah. Um, I felt a sense of duty or responsibility if, if I were to be a doctor. I think I'd want to benefit a community or a place that kind of raised me, I guess, like or has shaped my character. Yeah. Right? It's given mm-hmm. this third culture kid identity that I had. Right? Like I wasn't, I didn't feel fully like like a Hong Kong local kid, but I also didn't feel fully like a international expat kid, you know, just like somewhere stuck in between. Right? Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. But then my entire family is in Hong Kong and I thought, you know, like I should probably, uh, by default, I should probably train in Hong Kong and just work in Hong Kong for a bit. And also back then, um, they still had no uh, policies about foreign medical graduates coming back to Hong Kong no modifications to that, right? So pragmatically, um, it's better to graduate in Hong Kong first and have that license to practice in Hong Kong and then Mm -hmm. expand elsewhere if you want Mm -hmm. versus graduating from somewhere else and then trying to come back to Hong Kong because that likelihood was quite high because my entire family's here. Yeah and risking failing that license exam. Yeah, right. still in place. I mean, it's, it is still in place now. It's probably going to be phased out pretty soon. But as of now, foreign medical graduates that have a permanent, like, permanent residence in Hong Kong mm-hmm. um, can come back, right? And I think they're talking about even if you don't have that HKID or citizenship, you can still come back. But that's a really contentious and controversial issue right now. 
so I won't really comment on that that much. But okay. yeah, back back then when I was 16 and 17 and making this decision, right? Like, there was nothing of that sort. Right? No one mm -hmm. knew about it. So that's why, I, like, that's why I chose to go uh, stay in Hong Kong and train train to be a doctor first. So you're applying to UK, like you applied to UK Med in Hong Kong as well. So was it like really hard or stressful, like the application process? Because for UK, you need to like prepare for a lot. That's not like UCAT and stuff. From what I remember, you have the uh, UCAS applications, right? And yeah. for some reason, medical schools are, have an earlier deadline than yeah. all other degrees. Yeah. Well, we're having that now. Like, yeah, right. It's in like early October or even September, yeah. mid September. Oh, yeah. yeah, it's next month. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. And everyone else is like, oh, November deadline. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then you have to write a separate personal statement. Mm -hmm. And then you have to prepare for either the UK CAT or the BMAT. Yeah. Right. Depending on what school you apply to. Um, how did I deal with that? I guess. I just, I just did it. I mean, I wanted to get into uni, so yeah. it wasn't that hard to be motivated to do it. But did it uh, like a lot of time, or? I don't think so. Actually, I don't think so. I mean, I think I spent most of the time actually shortlisting what schools I wanted to go to. Yeah. Um, because, yeah, I, I was actually quite lucky. I was able to go over to the UK um, during the summer between year 12 and 13. And uh, I was actually able to visit some of the schools, like the university environment that I wanted to apply to mm -hmm. or heard about that was good. And that really helped um, either confirm or just just take off some unis from the list. I won't name any names like for the bad <laughs> There were some unis where I thought like, oh, it looked pretty good on paper, right? Like you have some really cool courses, and then you go there and you're like, what the hell? Like, yeah, I really don't like this place. But that's like the good thing about being able to go over there and visit. Of course, I'm saying this in a time of COVID, and like um, a lot of people can't fly, and that's really unfortunate. But well, my experience was that I was able to go to some of these schools that I wanted to go to talk to the people there and then shortlist right yeah and that really helped inform my decision a lot and that also was also the case for hong kong schools as well like like just off a tangent for a minute like in hong kong because we're all in hong kong right if you're going to apply mm -hmm. for the two medical schools you really 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 want to go to the i days the open days of mm -hmm. both schools really yeah. talk to the people that are there both in medical and not and non-medical degrees you really want to oh, try okay. and talk to these people and see what the vibe is or like what how, what the atmosphere is of the schools because there is a quite obvious difference between hku and cu in yeah. terms of atmosphere okay. and um, it's not a measure of how good they are because both schools are pretty damn good, but it's more of your own experience. Yeah. Right. Like I'm not gonna be here. It's like, I'm not gonna sit here and say, "See you." Like the other schools, see you is 
bad school. It's not a bad school. It's a really good school. Yeah. Just, yeah. I don't think I would have been that happy with my uni experience if I was there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it's really a personal choice. And it should be a personal choice. Mm-hmm. So that's a bit of my advice. Yeah. Um, but for the UCAS applications, I remember I did both BMAT and UKCAT. Because wow. I applied for a mix of schools that somewhere okay. BMAT, somewhere UKCAT. Um, in terms of BMAT, I'm just going to say right out, I did not do that well in BMAT, but that's because of other reasons. Like during that exact same time, there were like just family stuff in the family. Mm-hmm. Didn't really feel like revising and just like yeah. crashed and burned. But moving along, uh, UK Cat was decent. Yeah. I ended up getting, I was quite happy about it. I ended up getting an offer to Edinburgh. Oh, wow. Yeah. I ultimately turned down to study in Hong Kong because it was also pretty expensive. It was really expensive. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, and that's another factor, like cost. Mm. Yeah. Cost. If you're an international status like mm-hmm. student going to the UK, cost. I think that was another thing that uh, made me decide to stay in Hong Kong first. Mm. Right. Yeah. Um. yeah, yeah. In terms of just just addressing your main question, in terms of the time, it took not that much. I think I just dedicated maybe the summer, yeah. and then the first week or two of coming back to school just finish up everything, just write your personal statements. Like mm-hmm. just, and then, oh yeah, and for your personal statements, even if you think it's really good, try and get a teacher maybe that you trust, okay. have a look at it, right? Have your friend um, maybe look at it, or if you're not comfortable with having your friends look at it, just yeah. someone you trust. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I remember I did, I drafted my UCAS statement four or five times before I submitted it. Wow. Yeah. And it's also about the same for the Hong Kong like university's personal statements. Yeah. yeah. You really, really want another person to take a look at it. I think what's good about like our school is that they really help you like with your admissions process. Like um like our counselors, they like encourage us to share um our essays with them and like help us amend it and like give us feedback. And also, we're having a practice MMI as well. The school is organizing a practice. Yeah. Wow. Um, it's actually tomorrow. <laughs> um, yeah. So could you tell us, like, how you prepared for it and, like, maybe some tips? Yeah. Right. MMI. <laughs> so MMI is a really classic, like, really scary type of interview for for. Uh, potential applicants, right? Because you've never done an MMI before. Yeah. Stands uh, for multiple mini interviews, and it's supposed to be active. It's supposed to get you to think on your feet, and mm-hmm. it's supposed to stress you out. The whole, like, yeah. <laughs> the unofficial main objective is to stress you out and see if you can think um, in many different scenarios in yeah. a really short time. Right. Right. So. Now that you understand what they're trying to do, then <laughs> like, you can maybe think about that and go, okay, they're trying to stretch me out. I'm going to stay calm, right? Yeah. So for MMIs, how many stations are you having? We're not sure. Yeah. 
typically, uh, oh yeah, like I was the last year for HKU to have four stations, and now they have six stations, I think. Or something. Yeah. Yeah, but but in my experience, they asked about ethical dilemmas sometimes. Mm-hmm. Right? They asked about like they gave us they gave me a role play situation yeah. about like oh you have to break the news to break like a terminal diagnosis to a family friend or something. And they asked me about a political uh, current events question. Oh. Yeah. And okay. HKU, HKU, they actually have one station where it's going to be in, can- like in Chinese, preferably yeah. Cantonese. Even the question is in Chinese. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, like, uh, I think in terms of preparing for MMI, it's hard. Um, <laughs> let's see, because I didn't really prepare for MMI. I didn't know what to expect. I just went in and like, okay, why do I want to study medicine? <laughs> oh, so they ask you those questions too. Script and prepared, and then you go to MMI. You're like, what the hell kind of question is this? <laughs> right. It's it's really hard to prepare well for MMI. Right. I guess. I guess like if you know they're going to talk about social events, just kind of read up about um, the current like local social events. They're probably not going to ask about like the national security law or something that yeah, like, yeah. right now. They're probably going to more ask be more of uh, medical social like events, COVID. COVID, right? Like um, maybe they'll give you like a COVID situation as well, like how to triage a patient or whatever, like how to prioritize like some patients who need ventilators or something like that. Right? And you need to discuss about that. I'm just thinking off the top of my head. Or they might ask you something really current, like for and, and pertaining to Hong Kong, like actually, like what do you think about uh, foreign medical graduates that aren't Hong Kong residents being able to come back to practice, right? Like, what do you think about that? And they'll they'll actually ask you for your view. In general, in general, for the questions where you know it's supposed to be, oh, you gotta weigh up both sides, then you really gotta weigh up both sides. But oh, okay. But. Um, don't sit on a fence on it. Talk about both arguments and just make a decision because they're not really looking for what you decide, right? They don't actually care that much mm-hmm. about your actual answer. Yeah. Rather, they care about your thought process. They yeah. care about how you think through things. Right. Yeah, that's actually more important. And yeah, like to be honest, if you make a like a like a kind of outrageous point or just a point that they don't agree with, as long as you're able to back yourself up, like as long as you're able to talk about why you made that decision or why you stand on this, like uh, for example, like oh why you're uh, super uh, pro-abortion and like the really old uh, like really religious like professors like oh I'm really really pro-life, right like. They're going to really disagree with your answer, but yeah. if you're able to substantiate your view, art with an articulate uh, thought process, that's fine. 